Get your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and John chapter 14. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13 and John chapter 14. And I'm going to continue a series I started uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And that was uh, this series called Friend Request. Friend Request. And if you're a Facebook person, how many Facebook people do we have? And you'll admit it. Because <laughs> I've found there's people that will admit they're Facebook people and people who won't admit they're Facebook people. And but if you've ever had Facebook or something like that, then you understand that people get, you know, they come in there like Instagram, whatever, and they, and they friend you and then you can accept their request. And, and that's kind of the, the idea of this series. And, and I tagged the series friending the Holy Spirit. And, and I know when we talk about the Holy Spirit in church, there's a lot of different thoughts about that. One of the problems is because the church made the Holy Spirit of doctrine and the Holy Spirit isn't a doctrine. That was one of the worst things. And because he's a doctrine and there's different people that believe on, believe his role or what he is. And, and can I just be honest? Some of those doctrines are not really created around the truth of God's word. They're created around the comfort of men. Because we really don't have an aversion to the Holy Spirit. We have an aversion to some of the packaging that we've seen. Like we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We don't have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. We have a problem with one gift of the Spirit. <laughs> right? Because I, I mean, I can say it right now. You just say tongues. Half of the church is looking for a chandelier to hang from. And half of the church is running out of here like there was a terrorist attack. So we don't have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. No one's ever said, oh, your working of miracles has offended me. No one's ever said that. We just have a problem with one of the gifts. And so I just, what I've asked for everybody is just, hey, give me this blank page, if you will, just this blank, blank sheet and, and whatever your doctrines are, whatever your ideas are, you know, wherever you come from, whatever you were taught, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying just don't filter what I'm going to say through it. Let's just take a walk together and look at the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we started a couple weeks ago, that, that he's a person. Actually, we said he's God, he's a person, and he's present. And that's what we said is he's God, he's a person, and he is present with us. And we call that message, he is refreshing. He comes to refresh us. But I want to look this week, and, and I call this message, um, he's a helper. He's a helper. And, and you need to know that, and I'll explain that in a minute, but he's a helper. And, and I'm going to start by confessing to you that I have a weakness, I have a problem. And, and just one, though. I only have one problem, one weakness. <laughs> right. <laughs> Julie will get up in a minute and clarify. But anyways, but I have this problem. The problem is I don't like to ask for help. I don't know what it is. It's just me, my personality. It's the way that I am. I don't like to ask for help. And I remember uh, several years ago, we bought a new dryer, and I picked it up, and they put it in my truck, you know, and they loaded it for me. And then I got home, and I'm going to unload the dryer. Uh, and, and Julie comes out of the house and I have unloaded the dryer and is sitting on the ground and I'm kind of walking around like, you know, and she's like, honey, what do you, what do you, honey, who helped you unload the dryer? Nobody. <laughs> and, and then I think I got something, I don't remember exactly, but it probably went something like this. What in the world were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking the dryer needed to come out of the truck. And she's like, you know, you have this big son. I don't know where he gets that, probably from his dad. But, you know, you have, you have this teenage boy here who's very big and very strong. And I'm here. You have all of this help. Yet you've injured yourself because you wouldn't take five minutes and ask somebody for help. You decided you were going to get the dryer out of the truck all by yourself. Why would you do that? And now here you are. You're hurting. 
Why would you do that? And you know what I thought about as I was preparing for this message? I wonder how many people in the church today are encountering situations and you're doing it all by yourself. Because you don't understand that Jesus said you have a helper who is with you forever. And you're not struggling today because you don't have help. You're struggling today because maybe you didn't know to ask or maybe you didn't ask, but there is help that is present. And that's really kind of the idea for the message. And so if you're sleepy, you can go to sleep now and just take that part home with you. (laughs) But I want you to understand so badly that you have a helper who is with you forever. And you don't have to do things by yourself and you don't have to struggle in some of the ways that, that maybe you thought you had to struggle because this helper is present. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 is kind of the key verse for this whole uh, series. I'm reading it from the message translation. But this is Paul's benediction to the church of Corinth in, in the, the, it's actually the third letter that he wrote then, but we know it is 2 Corinthians and that's another story. But, but this is kind of the, this is like the, this is the big thought. This is the weighty idea that he wants to leave them with. So this wasn't flippant verbiage. This was something very important. He's like, I want you to land on this thought, this idea. And this is what he says. The amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you're going to live a successful life, if you're going to win, if you're going to fulfill your purpose, then here's, here's three things you got to understand. You have to understand that, that, that we have a God who exists in three persons. And here's three ideas that you have to build your life on. First of all, the grace of Jesus. You've got you to be convinced that Jesus' work paid it all, right? And, and then you've got to be convinced of the love of God, how much God loves you. And then you need an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that friendship, in my opinion, your relationship with the Holy Spirit is critical to your life and mission. And that's really why I'm teaching this series, because if you're not a friend of the Holy Spirit, you're missing out because he is critical to your life and mission. And we'll read some of the texts and you'll see how strongly Jesus, Jesus speaks of us relating to him and what his role and his function is in our life. And so in John 14, verse 16, Jesus is talking and he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Remember, we're talking about he helps. He's a helper. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Watch this, to be with you forever. So there you go. You have a, if you're a believer, you have a helper who is with you forever. It's always there. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll come back to that later. And then verse 19, these things, oh, they did the freak, they did the freak out like that. Switch, oh, verse 25, I'm sorry, it was my notes. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but what she calls him the helper again, and then he clarifies, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, um, a lot of times when people talk about the Holy Spirit and, and if, they've, if they're like me, <laughs> they've had enough Greek to be dangerous uh, because the Bible, you know, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, and, and then we have translations. But um, they'll say, yeah, the Holy Spirit, that's the, the paraclete. Um, and, and it's kind of right. It's, the Greek word is actually parakletos. 
And, and that's not who the Holy Spirit is always referred to as. That's not always the word used. It's the word used when it talks about helper. We just read two of those. There, there are actually um, five times the Holy Spirit is called helper in Scripture. We read two in, in chapter 14. There's one in chapter 15. And then in John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Jesus says again, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now watch this. This is amazing to me. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him. So he says, to your advantage that I go away, the helper. In other words, here's what Jesus is talking to 11 guys because Judas is gone. He's looking at his 11 guys. He's saying, hey, I've been your helper, but I'm going to go away. But it's better for you that I go away because right now we have an 11 to 1 ratio, one helper to 11 guys. But if I go away, everybody gets a helper. Everybody gets a helper that's with them forever. And so five times, anyways, five times in the Bible, the Holy Spirit's referred to as a helper, and it's not really his name. In fact, there's 800 references to the Holy Spirit in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament, usually what is interpreted to Holy Spirit is, is hagios pneuma, hagios pneuma, and that would be pretty much holy breath or holy wind. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in the message that he's refreshing. And, and so that's usually how the Holy Spirit is 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 written or, or talked about in the Greek, but these five times is called parakletos. And that word actually means called to one side, called to one side. So Jesus is saying, hey, if I go away, there's going to be one who's called to your side to help you. Who's, that's his calling. He's called to your side. In fact, the best picture of this really um, is, in, is in Genesis. And in Genesis, you know, Adam is God creates man and man's there. And then God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And he says, I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. And that word helper doesn't just mean helper, but it actually means help that comes from the Lord or help that comes from God or help from God. And it's actually help from God that's called to his side to help him. It's the same picture of the Holy Spirit. It's help that comes from God that's called to your side to help you in this life. It's it's the same picture. And so when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit as a helper, he's saying, look, this is help that comes from God who's called to your side who will be with you forever. He wants to help you in life. I I, I started listing just different ways that I could think of off, off the top of my head that that the Holy Spirit helps us, and there's a lot, but I, I, I'm not going to take you through all of them, but here's just some, some of the biggies, I think. Well, number one, he helps us because he comforts us, Acts 9. Uh, John 14 said he helps us by counseling us. John 16 says he helps us by convicting us. And, and by the way, I think this is a misconception, and, and, and I, I don't know if I'll ever get to come back and preach that in this series, but, but according to John 16, he convicts um, the world of sin, he convicts the believers of righteousness and convicts uh, the, the world of judgment. And it, I think sometimes we think, well, the Holy Spirit tells me when I'm doing something wrong. Really, if you're a believer, he tells you before you did something wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, because he said, don't do it, you did it, don't say it, you said it, you know. But the difference is, is that when, when he's convicting the world, they don't have a relationship with God. So this is usually how we come to Christ is we start getting this sense of this isn't good. This isn't right. This isn't best, right? That's convicting of, of sin. But, but then it says for believers, he convicts us of righteousness because the Holy Spirit knows that conviction around identity is more fruitful than conviction around mistakes. 
All right, it's the same thing Paul does with the church of Corinth, and they're all screwed up, and they've got sexual issues and greed issues, and all types of crazy stuff going on. And he says, hey, don't you know that, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, he's convicting them around identity, right? Not around their mistake. They knew what they were doing. They needed to know who they were. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life is he, he, he always calls us to identity, which is always away from sin. Right? And so he, he, he helps us by convicting us and convicting us of righteousness. He helps us by guiding us, John 16. Um, he seals us in Christ, Ephesians 4. Uh, he teaches us, John 15. He gives us words to speak when we don't have them, Luke 12. Uh, he empowers us, Acts 1. He helps us pray, Romans 8. He gives us gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, he's a helper. He has all these different ways that he can help you. And and, and I could talk about all those. I really just want to focus in on two in the time that we have left, just two ways that he helps us that I think are paramount. I think these are the keys to me. Um, and the first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But the first one is he helps us change. He helps us change. He changes us. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 21 says, this is Paul writing, he says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Just time out for just a minute. I just, sometimes I like to point this out in the modern day church and the culture and the society in which we live. Um, Jesus is not an additive to your life. He is life. In other words, he's not like the little dancing hula girl that you buy and put on your dash because it's kind of cool to have and, you know, entertaining or whatever the case may be. Jesus is not an additive. He's not a decoration to your life. Let, let me say it another way. If you're following Jesus, something changed. And if nothing changed, you're not following Jesus. He, he's, not the, he's not the thing we add to our life to make us feel okay. A relationship, according to Paul, a relationship with Jesus means we change. We change. We get rid of some stuff and we put on some new stuff. And that's what he's talking about. And, and all of this is brought about by the Holy Spirit. But he goes on to say, verse 23, instead, let the Spirit. In other words, you have to let the Holy Spirit work in you. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And then put on your new nature. Where do I get this new nature? From the Holy Spirit. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In other words, if I have a relationship with Jesus, something should be changing. And to make sure something's changing or, or the vehicle of that change or how that change is brought about is because I, with a relationship with Jesus comes a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And with a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it says he begins to challenge some things about me. Have you ever tried to change yourself? Is that easy? I've been trying to change my eating habits for 30 years. I still like chocolate. They can tell me how bad it is, but I still like it, right? I still like onion rings, and I still like chicken fr fried steak with mashed potatoes and cream gravy. My God, we're having revival today. <laughs> and if you don't like that, something's wrong with you. Don't be talking to me all spinach salad. No, if I were God, chocolate would be salad. It'd be chocolate salad with chocolate salad dressing with chocolate croutons with chocolate, chocolate things in them. <laughs> with a dash of peanut butter. That's what it would be. 
I'll hold, like, I, I, like, I like salad. You don't like salad. You're just more disciplined than me. <laughs> Anyways, the point is, it's kind of hard to change yourself. And that's the thing is that, that when, when we accept Christ, it initiates, it initiates change. But how does that change happen? It happens because the Holy Spirit comes to us. And the Holy Spirit, according to what Paul just said, he, he starts changing our thoughts and changing our attitudes and even changing our nature. First Peter says we've been made a partaker. We've received a divine nature. Galatians 5, Paul talks about this, that the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, when the Holy Spirit is working in my life, it starts producing things that are all around nature, love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. All of those things happen because of the Holy Spirit. He's coming to us to change us. He, he, without him, I really can't change. Without him, I really can't be who God's created me. He's come to me to change me. How does that happen? Well, 1 John 3, 9 gives us a clue. 1 John 3, 9. In fact, the first sentence, I'll let you wrestle out. It's, it was one we love to debate in Bible school that no one ever won. We never got anywhere like most debates. <laughs> you know that God gives you truth to change you not to give you a, a weapon for debate, but anyways, let me say this. The use of truth to enter in debates is a bad use of truth. Truth is to bring us to conviction. Conviction is to bring us to change. But First, first John 1 John 1.9 says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Go figure that one out. Because God's, look, here's why. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Do you see that? Can't, something's going to change, and here's why it's going to change. Because God's seed, the, the word in the Greek is sperma. It's, the, it's literally the seed of God. And what he's saying is, I've come to faith in Christ. Then something happens. Something is implanted in my soul, in my spirit. What is it? It's the seed of God. And the seed of God starts changing me. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit brings to me the DNA of my father and infuses it with my DNA. And it, ins it initiates a change in my character, in my nature, in my heart, and in my attitudes, in my thinking. In other words, the Holy Spirit brings to me the DNA of my father so that I can look like him. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen my dad, but if you've seen my dad, you're, you've pretty much seen what I'm going to look like in you know, another 28 years. It's kind of freaky if you wanted. I could get my oldest son, myself, and my dad, and it's just like watching dad through the years. You can go back and look at my dad when he's 19 years old, look at me when I, we look the same. Why is that? Because in my cells, I have his DNA. And, and so how do I change? Well, when I receive Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me. And when he indwells me, he actually brings the, the DNA of my father and fuses it with me so that my father starts coming out of me. So that I start seeing his nature and his thoughts and his ideas and his character is coming out of me because his DNA, the Holy Spirit, let me put it this way, the Holy Spirit brings to you. Here's, here's why you need the Holy Spirit. He helps you because he brings to you your identity and then gives you the power to live it out. Uh, Jeremiah said in the book of Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, before you say, well, that was an Old Testament prophet, and I'm just a modern-day person. 
you do understand that you exist with a greater reality of God than Jeremiah had. Greater revelation, greater reality. In that Jeremiah learned what it was like for God's spirit to rest on him. You get to live with God's spirit indwelling you. That's something he didn't have. Right? He knew what it was like for God's hand to come upon him and then off and then on and then off. That's Old Testament prophets. Spirit of God would come upon them just like Samson. Spirit of God would come upon them. Right? They knew what it was like to have the Spirit of God rest on them and then be taken up and then rest on them and be taken up. You know what it's like to have God's Spirit living in you every minute of every day. So before you disqualify and say, well, God knew Jeremiah, but he didn't know me. No, God would say the same thing to you before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, God, when he created you, he had a blueprint for you. He had a blueprint for who you were supposed to be. He had a blueprint for your identity. It comes from him. But because of sin, you're separated from that. And you don't know the blueprint. You don't really know who you are. You just know who people have told you you are. And so God sends the Holy Spirit. The seed of God comes and he brings the DNA of your father who, who knows the blueprint of who you are. And he infuses you with the reality of who you really are and then empowers you to begin to change to walk in that reality and leave the other realities behind. That's why God could, could appear to a man named Jacob and say, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. He could appear to a man named Saul and say, you're not Saul, you're Paul. Because God knew who they were supposed to be. And by his spirit and by his work, he could put his DNA inside them so that they become the person that he created them to be. Can I say something very plainly? Um, you can be somebody without the Holy Spirit, but you can't be who God created you to be without the Holy Spirit. Um, do you remember at, uh, when God made man, it was Adam, but God made man, and it says it formed his body of the dust of the ground? You remember that? And the word form in the Hebrew, by the way, is just he squeezed. It's interesting because when, when God made Eve, it says he, he used the word he, he formed, but it's a different word. It actually means he fashioned. Like, I'm so glad Julie was fashioned. I mean, I'm okay with being squeezed. I think the problem is now I'm coming unsqueezed. But it, but it said he formed him, he made him, but Adam's still not Adam. There's a body. Adam's laying there, but he's still not Adam. What made Adam become Adam? It says, then God breathed. It's the Holy Spirit. Well, the Old Testament and the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit is the Ruach, the breath of God. Right? So what made Adam Adam? God breathed. Ruach, the breath. What makes you you? God breathes. New Testament, pneuma, breath. That's what I'm saying. You cannot be you. You cannot be who God created you to be without the Holy Spirit. He's a helper because he helps you become you. Um, the second thing is, so he helps us change, but, but he helps us in that he leads us. He changes us and, and, and he... He leads us. You know, um, earlier this summer, Julie and I, 
Uh, we took the kids uh, to Disney World, and, and we've been before. They were a lot smaller when we went last time, but we went to Disney World to, to borrow my daughter's phrase. It's just so magical. It's so magical. And I agreed to, it was very magical how much money they could get out of my account <laughs> and make me enjoy it. It was just magical. You'd walk in heavy pockets and walk out light pockets. But, um, but we went, and, and Julie and I, we kind of like to have a plan. We don't want to waste time, and we don't want to waste money. We don't want to waste energy, and so we're taking the kids. And you know, there, if you've been to Disney World, you know there are four parks, and there's all this different stuff, and these parks are huge, and there's a transit system. There's all this stuff you had to figure out. And we've done it all before, but our kids are different ages, and we haven't been in several years. And, and I said, you know, we were talking, and we're like, we need a guide. We need somebody just to tell us what to do so we know we're going to have fun, so we have a good plan. So we called our friend David. And, and David is a friend of ours who um, I think lives there most days. And he's been to Disney World, I don't know how many times, I think they go like every year, you know, all, all the time. And in fact, he was so knowledgeable, and, and, and all, our kids started calling him Walt, Walt David. Um, but, <laughs> But, but I called him and I said, hey, Dave, I, I, I need some help going to Disney World. I know you hang out there a lot. I don't want to waste time. And so he came over and sat down and, and he brought all the different schedules that he knew to bring that I didn't know to bring and all this other stuff. And, and, and he starts working us out an itinerary for the least amount of traffic, for the best flow, for the best way, and then gets all of our fast passes lines up. And, and here's when you do this and here's when you do that. And here's where you go here and here's where you go here and, and eat at this restaurant. Don't eat at this restaurant. But eat this one. This is really good. And here's a great place to get ice cream. Oh yeah. And on this day at one 16 p.m. Get on your app that's now on your phone. Log in to get your fast pass to the river lights because you don't want to miss that. But here was the thing. I was so glad to have a guide because we didn't want to waste time and I didn't want to stand in line for an hour for something that was for three-year-olds and I just didn't know. Right? Like I, I didn't want to waste time. And so, so we, we, we basically got a guide. And I mean, he, he typed us out a plan for each day, and then he would even text and check up on, hey, how's this going? <laughs> it's like, man, it's going good. Thank you. Hey, send me a picture of where you're at watching fireworks. I want to see where your seat is. You know, it's, it's right here. That's good seats. You're going to enjoy this. Anyways, I needed a guide because I didn't want to make, waste time. I didn't want to get lost, right? I didn't want to miss out on anything. I want to have the best experience possible. And so I got a guide. I needed someone to lead me through this process um, so that nothing was wasted and so that, that the trip was as, as enjoyable as could be. And John 16, 13 tells us the Holy Spirit is a God. The stakes are a lot higher because it's not Disney World, it's life. But it is a small world after all. But John 16, 13 <laughs> says when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things to come. Do you see that? Do you know what makes a good guide? Is they know what's ahead. And one time I went whitewater rafting. I was so thankful for my guide because he knew where the, the raft could turn sideways and flip over and people could drown and stuff. And so he'd say, oh, we've got to go this way. We gotta go. See, he knew what was ahead. You have a guide who can only lead you into truth, and only, he can only lead you the right way. Last thing he wants is a guide that doesn't know the right way. So, so you have a God who, who can only lead you in the truth. And not only that, he can declare to you the things that are to come. He knows what's ahead that you can't see. And this is how he helps us. He, he guides us and he leads us. 
and he leads us into truth. And there's really two main ways that he, he leads us. I kind of touched on one, but I want to come back to it in this section. And that is, the, I want you to understand that this guide leads you, first of all, he always leads you into identity. He convicts you of righteousness. He knows what your D, he brings your DNA to you. He brings who you are to you and empowers you to walk out that reality. He leads you in identity. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He, he leads me into being a son. No one can come to the Father unless they're drawn by the Spirit. What's he doing? He's leading me towards being a son of God. He's leading me into that identity. That's who I was created to be, and that's who God wants me to be. He wants me to be his son. He's leading me out of being an orphan and into being a son. He's leading me out of being a slave and he's leading me into being a son. He leads me towards who I was created to be. And he searches my heart and helps me identify attitudes and thoughts and ideas that work against my identity. Thought processes that war against who he's created to me. Ideas and thoughts that keep me in bondage or keep me in slavery. He's constantly illuminating those while depositing truth and saying, this is who you really are. And this is who you really are. And this is who you really are. And yeah, you may have fallen down. You may fall down, but that's okay. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up seven times. In other words, it's falling down doesn't mean you're not righteous. The fact that you got up means that you are. He's leading you towards identity, towards being a son. I think one of the greatest things that, that, that the Holy Spirit does is that he, he leads us out of slavery. The Bible says we're slaves to sin and slaves to the law. And the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of grace, the spirit of truth, and he, he leads us out of slavery. But the second part of that, I think, is just as important in that he gets us out of slavery, and then he works to get slavery out of us. He gets us out of slavery, and then he works to get, to get slavery out of us. If you think about the children of Israel, they were liberated from Egypt. They, they were slaves in Egypt, and then God freed them. That's where, you know, Moses, let my people go, 10 plagues, right? And, and then God frees them. In fact, God, God so whooped their enemies that Egypt paid them to leave. Here's a word from you. If Satan hangs on too long, he'll be paying you to leave, you know, <laughs> But, but they actually pay them to leave. And so in, really in a day, even though there had been time and plagues, but in a day they go from being poor slaves to wealthy free people. And then they go to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they cross over and God drowns all their enemies. And then we get to the, to the wilderness. Now you think at this point, these people who are created to be the sons of God be celebrating God as our father, you know, and we're his sons and he takes care of us. But the first thing that happens, they get hungry and thirsty and start griping at God. And then they say something dumb. They say, we want to go back to Egypt. And then they cite reasons to our onions and our beds. How comfortable can a slave bed be? That thing's not Tempur-Pedic. <laughs> onions? There's a land over here flowing with milk and honey. And you know if there's milk and honey, there's peanut butter because Jesus is good. So like we can move forward into milk and honey. No, 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 no. We're hungry. We want to go back to onions. They didn't even know what onion rings were. 
I mean, I could be tempted with an onion ring on the right day. But onions? Just an onion and a bed? What was the problem? Is here's a father who's liberated them, increased them, freed them, part of the Red Sea for them. He got them out of slavery, but they still had slavery in them. Why do you think when God gave them manna and said, don't gather more than you need, they all gathered more than they needed, and then it spoiled that night? Because they were scared to death there wouldn't be more in the morning. Why were they so scared? Because they were still thinking like slaves. They were still living from slave rations. And God was trying to convince them that he was their father and they were his kids and that he would provide for them day by day. But they couldn't accept that. Right? How do you know you're a slave? If you get a bill you weren't expecting and it freaks you out like God's not able to provide for it. Because he provides all your needs. So, so the, the, the Holy Spirit, he, he works to get us out of slavery. He draws us to the Father. But then he goes to work getting slavery out of us because you'll never walk into promise as long as slavery's in you. Why do you think the children of Israel never got to go to the promised land? They get right to the edge of the promised land. They've watched God drown all their enemies in the Red Sea. They get to the edge of the promised land. And 10 guys come back and say, hey, there's real big people in the promised land. And they're like, well, I ain't going in then. Mm-mm. There's three million of you. Yeah, but there's some big people in there. And so God had to let them die in the wilderness until he could raise up a generation that had not been slaves. And because they had not been slaves, they could walk into promise. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our life. He gets us out of slavery. And then he goes to work, working in our soul, working in our heart, working in our mind to get slavery out of us because he is trying to lead us into promise. He's trying to lead us into who we are. Here's the second thing. He's trying to lead us not only towards identity, but he leads us towards purpose. He leads us towards purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that? We are his workmanship. Some versions say masterpiece. I personally like masterpiece better than workmanship. Workmanship sounds like he's working on me, and I know he is, but I like to be a masterpiece. And I looked in the mirror this morning. I'm pretty close. I don't know why you're laughing. It's not nice. Anyways, we... We're his masterpiece creating Christ. Look, we're created for good works, which he prepared before that we should walk in them. In, in other words, with God, you got to understand God has purpose and then creates people. So let me put it another way. If you're breathing, it's because God had a purpose for you. You, you cannot be breathing and not have purpose because the purpose was here before you were. You may not know what it is. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Right? But, but if you're breathing, there's a purpose. God had a purpose, then he made a person. And he made you to walk in that purpose. And he's given you a guide that knows that purpose to lead you not only into your identity, but into your purpose. I, I got a phone call the other day from a good friend, and, and uh, he's a very wise uh, Christian guy and, and um, goes to our church, has been for years, and, and he said, hey, I've been presented with a possible job opportunity and uh, it's, it's a promotion and an increase. And, and he said, but it requires us to change towns. And he said, I'm just trying to seek counsel. You know, the, the Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there's great wisdom. And he said, I'm just calling a few people and asking them to pray, but also just asking for counsel as our family starts walking through this process together to determine God's will for us. And first of all, I'm like, well, that's wise because most people hear raise and just pack the car, you know. Um, and, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm going to raise and now I'll be able to tithe more. Well, you're not tithing now. You know, it's like... 
That's not the re- anyway. So, <laughs> um, but this, he's a godly guy. He's like, you know, we just want God's will. We're just trying to follow him. And I just wondered if you would have uh, any nugget or pearl of wisdom that you could share with us as we're walking through this process. And I said, man, so honored you called and what a great opportunity. And obviously I don't know God's will, but this is what I've learned to tell people. Here's my nugget, if you will. And that is, it's always kingdom first job second. Because sometimes in churches, you know, we Christian people, sometimes we get mixed up and we kind of major on the, on the minors and minor on the majors. And it really is, when it comes down to it, we're people who seek first the kingdom of God and, and live from the kingdom of God first. And we live for the kingdom of God first. And, and it's really not about whether it's an increase or not because God doesn't need a job to increase us. God can increase us with or without a job. Certainly God blesses us through the positions and jobs that we have. But I went through a season where God taught me that a paycheck's not your provision. It's not your, or it's not your provider. God's your provider. He can provide through a paycheck, but he can provide. He can send a raven to wherever you are if he wants to feed you. Right? He can make the oil never run out. I mean, there's so many pictures throughout the Bible of the way God provided and did certain things. And, and so I said, it's always kingdom. The, the question isn't so much is the job good or what would it mean for my family? Those are, those are secondary considerations and should be considered. But the first consideration, the first question you have to answer is this. Is the king assigning me to that city? Because if the king's assigning me, we got to go. If, if I don't know if the king's assigning me, I don't want to leave. And really, this is the way we should live our lives. I mean, sometimes, you know, with, with pastors, it's like we have a different, you know, a different, like if I stood up and said, hey, guys, you know, um, some church in Hawaii, some church in Hawaii called us. And by the way, we did get invited to plant a church in Hawaii years and years ago, and we chose to be missionaries in Honduras, and that's because something's wrong with us. But anyways, um, and so, so because we passed up Hawaii when we could have gone, we were just believing God for a, a campus in Hawaii. Pathway Hawaii. Oh, Jesus. Shoo! Oh, my Lord. I almost got Pentecostal right there. But anyways, um, you know, the church called and said, hey, we want you to come pastor uh, us in Hawaii, and it's going to be twice your salary. I mean, you wouldn't want me to stand up and say, you know, guys, you know, we got this great offer in Honolulu to pastor this church, and they're going to pay us twice the salary, and, you know, we'll be able to give more to the kingdom. And Yes, whew, that was the Lord. We'll be able to give more to the kingdom. Check my pacemaker. We'll be able to give more to the kingdom. We'll be able to tithe more, and so we know because of this, then that's what God wants us to do. Y'all would be like, what? That's your, that's your, that's your reason? They're going to pay you more or whatever the case may be? Or you like Hawaii more than Longview? First of all, if you don't like Hawaii more than Longview... <laughs> That's your first problem. <laughs> Anyways, see, you wouldn't expect us because you'd be saying, no, pastor, you've got to have a word from God. You've got to have a kingdom assignment because it's kingdom and then vocation. And I'm saying if you're a royal priesthood too, it's the same qualification for you. And we make decisions all the time where it's, it's the filter should be kingdom first. Is this kingdom assignment? Is this kingdom directed? Is this God's plan? Is this God's design? And we should major on that. that. That's where we should place our focus. That's, that's the filter because we're supposed to be kingdom people who live on kingdom assignment to fulfill kingdom purpose. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Why have a Holy Spirit who's going to guide us if we're not going to let him guide us? 
Why not let him lead us so we don't waste our time, waste our energy, and fall off in a pothole somewhere? Acts 13, 2 says um, this. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, that's a pretty cool verse, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. First of all, if you're here and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what my next step is. Here's a good formula. Worship and fast. Worship and pray. Fasting would also include prayer. If you're fasting and not praying, that's not fasting. That's a hunger strike. Don't do that. (laughs) Worship and pray and fast. And then the Holy Spirit will set you apart for the work which he's called you. See, this is how we should all live. No matter what your vocation is, no matter what your position is, no matter what country you live in, town you live in, city you live in, it doesn't even matter. It's what has he set you apart and called you to. Because that's the only way. You understand the only way he's going to lead you is toward that calling. Right? And you can be Jonah and get in a boat going the other way and God will send you an express whale. <laughs> You've heard of express mail? There's an express whale. But God's only, the Holy Spirit's only going to lead you towards calling. He's only going to lead you towards destiny. See, just like you can't be you without the Holy Spirit, you can't fulfill your purpose without the Holy Spirit. He is critical to your life and mission. He is trying to help you be you, and he's trying to help you live out your purpose so that you can live a fulfilled life. Here's, here's, let me give you this tidbit, and then we can call it good. I think when we're following the Holy Spirit through life, and we're having a relationship with him, what are the guardrails? What, what keeps us in that place? Where's the sweet spot at? Well, I think Paul gives us two guardrails. In Ephesians 4, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There's one guardrail. First Thessalonians, first Thessalonians, whew, glad I didn't cuss. First Thessalonians, somebody lost their religion. First Thessalonians says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, grieving the Holy Spirit is about my character. It's about the attitudes of my heart, the decisions that I make, the thoughts that I think. The choices. See, that's, that's character. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do anything that would grieve him. Well, what would grieve him? Moving away from identity. He's always going to be grieved because he's trying to meet, lead us towards identity, right? If I start moving away from who I am, that grieves him. And so that's, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. That's character. But what is quenching the Holy Spirit? That's calling. That's, that's purpose. Um, I grew up in, in an age where we didn't have smart water. Right, or Avion. We didn't have bottled water because no one thought about paying money for water. Like my grandfather knew I spend more per gallon on water than gasoline, he would think I was nuts. But I lived in a day where we played out, we, we drank water not from an Avion bottle, but from a water hose. Where are you at, water hose people? You know what I'm talking about. That's right. That's 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 how you know you're living right there. And, and so we were in the summers, we'd be playing a bunch of boys in a neighborhood full of boys. We'd be playing, always playing something outside, always dirty, always stinky. And mom didn't want us running out of the house every time we needed a drink of water. And so they taught us from an early age. I don't even remember being taught this. I guess from about eight months on, we were taught to use the water hose. But you would go, and, and here's what you do. Remember, you get the end of the hose and you crimp it, right? right? You hold it, and then you walk up on the porch, and then you turn it on, right? And then you walk back out on the grass, and you uncrimp it, and then you don't drink right then. And the reason you don't drink right then is because it's still hot, right? you got to let the hot water get out. Of- I'm preaching now. It's a good preaching right here. 
you gotta let the you gotta let the hot water get all the way out, and then when it starts cooling down, then you're ready to get you a drink. You just drink all you can, it's all over you, and just drink, and put on your drink, 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 and then you crimp the hose again. You go back and you turn it off, right? And then you go back and you play. What is quench? Quench is kind of like crimping the hose. See, grieving is character. That's walking away from identity. But but on the other guardrail, it's it's about calling. And how does God accomplish calling? He accomplishes calling by the flow of his spirit through you. So by quenching the spirit, it means I'm not letting God flow through me the way he wants to flow through me. See, God didn't call you to do something for him. He, he calls us to do something that comes from him. We become a water hose and he flows through us. And God, just like he was saying, let the mind renew, let the spirit renew your mind. He's saying, hey, let me flow through you. This is how you accomplish calling. And so the two guardrails of walking with the Holy Spirit come back to this identity and come back to this purpose in that, that one guardrail is I don't want to move away from identity and the other guardrail is I don't want to move away from calling. So the sweet spot is I'm, I'm saying locked in who the Holy Spirit says I am. I'm pursuing my identity Him and I'm not blocking the flow of His presence through me. And when He says take a next step, I'm going to take a next step. When he says, do this, when he says, talk to this person, I'm going to talk to that person. When he says, share with this person, I'm going to share with this person. When he says, serve this way, I'm going to do this. When he says, do this project, I'm going to do this. When he says, mow my neighbor's lawn, I'm going to mow my neighbor's lawn because he said to because I'm not going to crimp the flow of him because I want to stay in the sweet spot of a relationship with him. Um, Pastor Bill Johnson from uh, Bethel Redding, and you may or may not know who that is, but I, I love the analogy that he gives because um, he talks about how the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And, um, and, and then he talks about, so if the whole, let's just say the Holy Spirit is a dove, and he's not, he's the Holy Spirit, but using that same picture, if he were to descend on us like a dove, and let's just say I had a dove that came to rest on my shoulder, and now I've got to go through life, but I don't want the dove to leave my shoulder then how would I do that? And his answer is simple. Every movement I made would be with the dove in mind, not myself in mind. Because I don't want the dove to leave me. And so if I feel the dove start moving this way, I would, I would start moving that way because I'm trying to keep him on the shoulder. And then if I needed to make a step, I would make a step cautiously because I would, want to, I would want the dove to stay with me. So I wouldn't bolt and run this way because he might fly that way. And so now every step that I made and every decision and every attitude and every thought, now everything that I do is filtered through, I want to remain with this dove. I want to stay tethered to him. I want to stay connected to him. I want him to guide me. I want him to help me. I want him to lead me. And I want to make sure that wherever I'm going is where he's going. Where he's going is where I'm going. I think that's what it's like between those two guardrails is that I'm living my life with this friend in mind that I want to stay tethered to this friend. And I think sometimes, and I'm going to just be honest and just buckle up, but I think sometimes we're more apt to get off somewhere and then ask the dove to come find us and lead us back. And it becomes a search and rescue mission with the dove. Help! <laughs> I made four bad decisions and now I don't even know where I am. Please send the dove. And sometimes we call for the dove to counsel us after we've made the decision. 
And sometimes we ask the dove to lead us after we've gotten lost. And I'm saying, while he's gracious and he will certainly do that, he will respond when you need help. You need to also understand that you don't have to make the wrong decisions if you live with the dove in mind because he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you what is to come so that you don't fall, trip, or fall in a pothole. You have a guide that is with you that knows who you're supposed to be and knows where you're supposed to go. And he has given himself and all of his all of his attributes and assets and abilities and capacities have been surrendered to you in a way for you to utilize to make sure you win and live successful on this earth. Why would you not live tethered to him? Why would you not live listening to him? Why would you not live sensitive to him? He's trying to help you win. Ask you stand up. I'm done. Exclamation point right there. Just put it, yeah, clap some more. That was good. I like that. 